This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. Welcome to AM. I'm Sabra Lane coming to you from Nipaluna, Hobart. Australia has asked for two prominent citizens jailed in China to be reunited with their families as soon as possible during a meeting between the Foreign Minister Penny Wong and her counterpart in Beijing. They spoke for more than 90 minutes, agreeing to resume regular talks between the country's trade ministers, which could help pave the way for an end to China's trade sanctions. Political reporter Jane Norman has been following the developments. Jane, are there any concrete results from these talks? No, Sabra, more an agreement to continue talking and to resume regular high-level talks between the country's economic and trade ministers, something that hasn't been happening really until now. Of course, the government would also be hoping for the resumption of annual leaders' meetings as well between Australia and China. Now, Penny Wong, of course, is the first Australian minister to visit Beijing in more than three years, a visit that really demonstrates a thawing in the relationship. And the government talks now about stabilising relations and wisely navigating the many differences between Australia and China. And during this talk with her counterpart, Wang Yi, Penny Wong says she raised sensitive issues, including human rights and trade blockages. Now, China slapped $20 billion worth of trade sanctions on Australian goods, including beef, barley and wine, really at the height of the political tensions back in 2020. And I think it's probably fair to say that there is some optimism growing within the government that those sanctions will be lifted, perhaps in a gradual fashion. Um, Speaking to reporters, Penny Wong says she hopes or expects that her visit would be one step towards achieving that outcome. There was a discussion about uh, opportunities for further dialogue to work through how we might do what I think is in the best interest of both countries and consumers in both countries and certainly in, in, in terms of you know, Australian exporters and, and Chinese consumers and that is for the trade blockages to be removed. And Jane, the Foreign Minister, confirmed she raised the ongoing detention of two Australians in China. What did she have to say about their cases? Yes, well, Australian journalist Chung Lei has been detained now since 2020. Australian writer Yang Heng Jun since 2019. Both are being held on various espionage charges that they both vigorously deny. Now, governments have been continuously pushing for their release. And Penny Wong says it has been raised. These cases have been raised in every senior level engagement in every conversation she has had with her counterpart, Wang Yi. Now, complicating matters to an extent is the fact that COVID-19 restrictions in China have meant there have been no consular visits since September. So our diplomats in China cannot have any face-to-face meetings with the two Australians, and Australia is vigorously protesting that ban. But again, speaking to reporters after her meeting with Wang Yi, Penny Wong unusually raised the families of Chung Lei and Yang Heng Jun, which indicates that she's sort of appealing to China to release these Australians on compassionate grounds. We advocate for a range of things in those discussions. Uh, They include uh, for those Australians to be reunited with their families as soon as possible. Uh, But we also advocate for uh, the observance of our consular agreements and for those Australians who have consular access. That's the Foreign Minister Penny Wong and before her, our reporter Jane Norman in Canberra. Ukraine's president is making a surprise visit to Washington and his first known trip out of the country since Russia's invasion started. Volodymyr Zelensky's held talks at the White House with the US President Joe Biden. Thank you so much, Mr President. Of course, thanks 
bipartisan support, thanks Congress, and, and thanks from our just ordinary people to your ordinary people, Americans. I really appreciate President Zelensky's trip coincides with the announcement of a major new package of American military support. Here's North America correspondent Jade McMillan. 300 days after Russian troops began their invasion, Ukraine's president has ventured outside his borders. Volodymyr Zelensky crossed into Poland before boarding a US military aircraft bound for Washington. The plan was arranged in secret and requires an extraordinary security operation. But spokesman for the White House National Security Council, John Kirby, told CNN, both sides believe it's worth the risk. The president really believed that uh, as we approach winter, as we enter clearly and have been in a sort of a new phase in this war, uh, Mr. Putin's aggression, that this was uh, a good time for the two leaders to sit down face to face. The visit also coincides with an important moment in US politics, just weeks before the Republican Party retakes control of the House of Representatives, with the frontrunner for House Speaker Kevin McCarthy recently warning against writing what he described as blank checks to Ukraine. Joe Biden has announced a new security package worth nearly two billion US dollars, including sophisticated Patriot surface-to-air guided missiles and a commitment to train Ukrainian forces in a third country to use the system. Mark Kansian is a senior advisor at the Centre for Strategic and International Studies. He says the Patriot decision sends a strong signal about ongoing US support, although its practical impact is limited. It's significant politically, and it's useful militarily. The reason it's not a game changer is the United States is only sending one battery that can protect a single city, perhaps uh, Kiev. It's capable against many air targets, but not all. And the reason is that the Patriot missile costs $4 million each. So it's worth shooting them at aircraft, ballistic missiles, maybe cruise missiles, uh, if they're going to hit a sensitive target, but it's not worth shooting at Iranian drones that cost $50,000. Russia has previously warned it would view the deployment of the Patriot system as a provocation. And in an address to his country's top military leaders, President Vladimir Putin again hit out at the West's involvement in the conflict, while arguing Russia doesn't deserve any of the blame. What is happening now is a tragedy, our common tragedy, but it is not the result of our policy. A message Volodymyr Zelensky and Joe Biden will seek to reject as they present a united front at the White House. This is Jade McMillan in Washington, reporting for AM. South Australia's Riverland is in for an uncertain Christmas. Flood levels are expected to peak during the next few days, leaving many residents unsure of where they'll spend Christmas Day at home or at an evacuation centre. Charities in the region have teamed up to make sure that those who are doing it tough aren't forgotten. Reporter Angus Randall's in Renmark. At a community hall in the Riverland town of Renmark, packages are stacked high and lists are being checked twice. For now, Carolyn Trifonoff is the closest thing the Riverland Christmas appeal has to Santa. She's handing out boxes filled with goodies. The Christmas hampers are kind of treat hampers, so they've got things like tin of ham, there'll be mince pies, Christmas cake, Christmas pudding, 
lollies, sweets. The hampers will help at least 400 families across the Riverland, a region that stretches along the River Murray around three hours northeast of Adelaide. Carolyn Trifonoff says the rising flood water is adding stress to what's already been a tough year. We've got some people who are on houseboats, so they don't even know where they're going, their houseboats will be and what's happened to them. Some of them, I think, have been moved down to, to Berry and moored down there. Others have just been sort of high and dry. Uh, there are people who've got levies and they're not sure whether they'll be breached. The annual Riverland Christmas Appeal sees charities and local businesses combine to put a Christmas meal on the table for those in need. There's been increased demand this year, with cost of living pressures causing problems even before the flood. Alicia from Renmark is picking up her hamper after a challenging few months. I've got no vehicle, so I've had to pre-prepare for everything. Um, I've been struggling to get sandbags because if it gets too high, I've been told got to prepare for it. She says the hamper can provide meals for a few weeks, including something special for Christmas dinner. Means that at least I don't have to run around like a headless chook for the next couple of weeks, um, forking out every <laughs> cent of money just to get enough um, to be able to have a nice good meal or be able to invite a friend over. And sometimes there's little treats in it, like soft drink or bag of lollies, which is usually a really nice treat because it's like, yay, get to have something for myself. Some homes in the Riverland were flooded weeks ago. Most places should be safe if the levees hold. Father Paul Burke is the Catholic priest in the Riverland. He says it's been extraordinary to see the region come together to help those most in need. Every day you come across different circumstances. One of the people, one of the families that live on the lock and they're in and out to their house by boat each day. The prisoners down at Cadell tell me how they've been out for the work gangs and um, building levy banks. There's a huge cross-section of experiences and people being affected and people being involved. Floodwaters in Renmark could peak as early as Christmas Eve and are expected to remain high for weeks. Angus Randall reporting there. As many of us prepare to head to popular holiday destinations, spare a thought for the local businesses, scrambling to find enough staff to meet an expected surge in demand. Some are being forced to cut opening hours or capacity because they just can't get enough workers. The Tourism Industry Council says it's deeply frustrating for businesses looking forward to their first peak season without COVID restrictions. John Daly reports. That one there, that, sweet as cherry pie. Thank you. Joe Iffler is racing to get her cafe in Bremer Bay ready for the peak season. Her town on WA's south coast is a popular tourist destination where the population swells from 500 to up to 30,000 between Christmas and New Year's. And then I'll do one. Joe says it puts immense pressure on businesses already short-staffed. It has been really trying for the last couple of years, trying to get labour, hence the reason I'm still working there. So what do you have to do to pick up the slack in your business? Um, I have to work in the kitchen and um, my day starts usually around five and can go through to usually about three in the afternoon and then it's um, home and doing farm book work or staying at the cafe and baking for the next day. Finding trained baristas and kitchen hands willing to live five and a half hours away from Perth has been tough. It's, It's extremely difficult. It's a full-time job. One of my daughters spends a lot of time searching. On the other side of the country, Jan Claxton faces the same challenges in Queensland. Her family-owned business runs ocean tours around the Whitsundays out of Airlie Beach, north of Mackay. And it also has another tourism operation at Cape Tribulation in far north Queensland. She says both have been hamstrung by a lack of labour in the lead-up to Christmas. So we would love to run full every day, 
But we do have a staff shortage. It's across the board with all the businesses. Is this causing any issues in terms of being able to run things at full capacity? Yes, definitely. I think a lot of the businesses are probably running at, you know, 70 or 80 percent capacity. Jan Claxton says the biggest barrier to getting more staff for the surge is a chronic shortage of housing. Down here, we've even um, purchased some staff accommodation so that when we do get some really good people applying, we can actually offer them somewhere to live because, of course, that's one of the biggest problems that we face in Ely Beach. This peak tourism period will be the first one without COVID restrictions for many businesses and towns. Evan Hall, chair of the Australian Tourism Industry Council, says the worker shortage is frustrating. It's deeply frustrating to now be turning away um, the bookings that you didn't have over the last two years because we don't have enough staff. And it's for an industry that's trying to recover, it is definitely the, the biggest barrier at this point to get getting back onto an even footing for the tourism industry. The latest figures from the Bureau of Statistics shows the accommodation and food services industries have seen the biggest increase in vacant jobs since the beginning of the pandemic, with five percent of positions now unfilled. John Daly reporting. Britons have been urged to avoid risky behaviour like heavy drinking and contact sport because if they need an ambulance, they may not get one. Thousands of paramedics have walked off the job for 12 hours, sparking major shortages. Members of the military have been brought in to drive ambulances in parts of the UK. Europe correspondent Nick Dole reports from London. It might sound piercing, or if you've just woken up, a little irritating... But if you've just dislocated your knee on the soccer field, it's the sound of salvation. But right now in England and Wales, a broken bone or a fall isn't going to cut it. Going into labour won't get you an ambulance either. Some patients are even being told that unless they believe they're about to die, they should get themselves to hospital or be prepared to wait. That's because many paramedics are on picket lines. We come into the job knowing that we're going to look after people, not to go out and strike. But the things have got so bad that we've had to make this decision. We don't want to be here. Eddie Brandt is an ambulance worker in London and he's the secretary of the local union branch. We don't want people to be harmed, without a doubt. We don't want that. We just want this government to listen to us. One thing about pay, but also trying to solve the issues that we have in the NHS. Our crews crews have worked to the bone and it's not fair anymore. With UK inflation running at 10.7%, workers across the public and private sectors have been demanding a better deal, and many have been striking. Nurses, railway workers, baggage handlers, border force staff and mail workers are just some of those who've walked off the job. The paramedics say unless their pay matches the cost of living rises and their growing workloads, they'll keep losing staff, including the many Australians who make up the ambulance workforce here. AM spoke to two Australian paramedics, Tom from the ACT and Matt from Victoria, who say the logjam in hospitals and the pressure on crews in London is unprecedented. I think at the moment it was probably worse than when it was during like peak COVID, during terms of wait times for A&Es and also for ambulances. I kind of came over just before COVID hit, so I've worked kind of all through the pandemic, kind of same with um, Matt, and uh, yeah, conditions are kind of getting kind of not any better, not improving. The Conservative government here is still trying to steady itself following the turmoil at Downing Street this year and all this strike action isn't helping. But the Health Secretary Steve Barclay has picked a fight with unions 
accusing them of trying to harm patients. Well, it is the trade unions that are taking this strike action uh, at a point of maximum pressure for the NHS and in doing so are not giving an undertaking to cover all life-threatening and emergency uh, responses. The unions say if there are life-threatening cases going unattended, they'll leave the picket lines and respond. But they say if there are deaths as a result of this action, the government will have to wear the blame for failing to negotiate. This is Nick Dole in London reporting for AM. In a year of escalating cost of living and interest rate rises, food charities are experiencing record demand and now facing their biggest Christmas yet. It can feel pretty overwhelming, but Food Bank says it's ready. And it's all thanks to a growing army of volunteers, as reporter Isabel Masali discovered. Hi, Brooke, how are you? Good, thank you. That's good. We're just going to take your card and go through all the shopping. Yeah. And we'll sort out all the... Today, Fiona Morley gets to tell customers the fruit, veggies and bread are free. And you can see the relief on this young mother's face. Fiona has been volunteering at Perth's Food Bank for six years and has seen demand climb. There was a couple of people that were just about in tears. We had one girl the other day that she said, oh, thank goodness I can pay my electricity bill now. So that kind of resonates with you, that people are really serious about it. Um, It is a huge worry out there. Kate O'Hara is the CEO of Food Bank WA. We last spoke back in May when interest rates first began to rise. Back then, she said they were already seeing escalating demand. And now... We could never have guesstimated the scale of demand that we're seeing now, but thankfully our incredible team here have been managing stock levels to have three or four months' supply, which means we're able to respond to these very, very high demand levels. But what we do know is there's a lot of people out there that really should be turning to our services but are not. Food Bank is now feeding more than one million Australians a month, but they've recently noticed a positive spike too volunteer numbers. That's both individual sign-ups and big corporations lending their staff for the day. We've been seeing quite a step up and people raising their hands and that's just delightful and we've been engaging with lots of different groups so we also have disability volunteers with support carers coming in. What do you need Ronnie? Um, <laughs> could we get some more of the Pop-Tarts to open up please Ryan? Pop-Tarts? Yeah because I'm running low on those. One of the new faces is Ryan Underwood, who lives with disability. He's packing hampers of sweet treats with his carer. Well, it's nice and friendly, good environment, and you're helping other people as well. Retirees Victor and Ivan are pointing out the teddy bears and kids' toys that have arrived in time for Christmas. It means a lot to me and I feel very good about it. You know, I'm helping people. You know, I do it from my heart, you know. When they started, they didn't know anyone using the service. But Ivan has begun recognising old colleagues at the checkout and Victor realised those in his seniors club were struggling. So he now brings them a box. It's not much, but when they see that it's happening, you know, they're just so happy. Then, and I wish I could do a little bit more, then, but, but keep telling them it's perfectly normal to come here and, and accept the help from us. And he encourages others to volunteer or reach out for help without shame. Isabel Masali reporting there, and that's AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm Sabra Lane. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.